Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jenny. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm excited to share with you this morning. We're in week two of our series on real life. Um, this is our vision series. Let me find my remote. Tech team told me no matter what I do wrong, I get to blame it on them. So that's what we're doing here. <laughs> um, I think we might have some review slides here. We already read that. Real life. Okay, so we're on week two of this. Last week, Pastor Glenn talked about the redeemed life. Um, this is the empowered life, the active life, and the listening life. And this is basically just digging deeper into the phrase we hear every single week. Uh, we, our vision is to see lives transformed by Jesus in the Okanagan Valley. And so I'm really excited to talk with you guys about the empowered life today. When I was nine years old, I burnt the bathroom floor. Um, I, I know what you're thinking. It, it probably sounds a little strange. It's not as bad as you think. Actually, I had a really good reason. Um, and once I tell you, it'll all make sense. Um, I watched a lot of spy movies. <laughs> and, uh, and you know that moment where they have, like, incriminating evidence, okay? And, and the people are coming, and they got to get rid of the evidence. And so they set it on fire, and then they put it into a trash can. And then the camera, like, pans over dramatically and zooms in on the fire and watches it burn. And so I remember as a kid just being captivated by that, like, so fascinated. What an interesting way of getting rid of garbage. <laughs> I need to try this. And so I went and I grabbed my, my younger sister, and um, I clearly remember in the bathroom lighting some paper on fire. We had matches. We had a wood stove. So, um, And then my sister's watching. She's like, Jenny, Jenny, we should put this out. And I'm like, shh, look at it burn. <laughs> right? And then I'm just staring right at the fire because, man, it's so mesmerizing and so beautiful. And, and the, the plastic garbage can that it was in started to melt and, and started to change color. And I was just loving this. This was so cool. And then I was like, I should probably put this out. So I'm just going to fast forward that excitement. And what you need to know is that the house didn't burn down, and, um, but the, the floor was never the same. <laughs> And I, I remember as soon as my sister and I put out the fire, she runs downstairs to get dad, and I'm like, traitor. Like, come on. <laughs> so she runs, and then it dawns on me, oh, no, dad's going to come. And I start panicking. So I, I close the door, I lock it, and I barricade it with my body. So my, my back is against the door, my feet are up against the wall. And I'm like, nobody's getting in here. I hear dad running up the stairs, and he's knocking on the door frantically. He's like, Jenny, Jenny, are you okay? And... I'm just sitting there in my shame, like, willing for this moment to go away. Because um, I'm just thinking, man, he's going to be angry. He's going to be, he's going to ask me, what were you thinking? <laughs> what, what is wrong with you? <laughs> um, just what even happened? But he wasn't angry. Um, he, he was calm and he was gentle. Sure, he was worried, but he handled it like, like a father of five kids. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> Um, but I remember I learned at least two things that day. Number one, that hiding is only, hiding is only a temporary solution. And number two, don't play with fire, you dum-dum. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So I'm wondering, uh, if you guys will be transparent this morning, has anyone else ever done anything stupid with fire? You know, this is good. Now look around and judge these people, because that's what we like to do here. Okay? My favorite is when, like, the person next to them is like, this, this guy, right? <laughs> um, when something like that happens, our first instinct is often to hide. Uh, shame usually gets some variation of the same reaction. We hide. And before we open any door to anyone, we want to fix what's gone wrong. We want to throw some paint on it, or like nine-year-old Jenny, we want to, you know, grab a butter knife and and scrape off the burnt linoleum, like that's going to make it better. And also, what is a butter knife even doing in the bathroom? We try to put a good spin on it, okay? So it's like I go to my dad, hey, dad, so I burned the bathroom floor, but I, I didn't burn the wall like Alex. So, and that's another story. Um, But hiding is temporary. Hiding in shame can only offer an illusion of power in life. Sure, it gives us some control, but it gets in the way of relationship, and it gets in the way of flourishing, of actually dealing with the problem. And then it, it starts to shape our life around it, how we hide in our shame. And so there's a very technical word for this. I worked all week, long hours, just to come up with this. Shametification. Okay? It's, uh, it's catchy, right? <laughs> Sometimes we don't know what we're hiding behind or that we're even hiding. For example, let's talk about culture. We live in a culture that is driven by justice. My generation is in the thick of it. I'm, I'm a millennial, okay? I've said it. I've, I've confessed it. Um, in my generation, it seems like, like we just marinate in, almost celebrate every fall or failure of another leader or prominent figure. We're just looking for it. It's, it's almost like vindication for the cynicism or, or vindication for the pain that's caused by Christians who don't look anything or act anything like Jesus. Failures of others become a mere, I told you so, mere ammunition for the cause. And I know this because I admit that I've, I've felt and I've been drawn into that gravitational pull uh, of the bitter rhetoric of post-Christian culture. I've, I've been pulled into that. And that's the culture now of so many of my friends, my family members, and my peers. So many people who, in their pain or in their confusion, are understandably looking for empowerment. They're hungry for it. They're looking for empowerment, but they're settling for contempt. And I watch as God's principles, without the Holy Spirit become our power play. Whether you're in the church or whether you've given up on the church, whether it happens from from culture to church or from church to culture or church to church, culture to culture, whatever variation it is, justice alone is a formula for modern-day Pharisees. Contempt uh, is something that we're all vulnerable to. The most unequivocal sign of contempt for man is to regard everybody merely as a means to one's own ends, 
or of no account whatever. Contempt is the weapon of the weak and a defense against one's own despised and unwanted feelings. Contempt becomes a power that we hide behind. Last week, Glenn spoke of the radical claim of the gospel, that there's one way to salvation, there's one way to deal with the sin in our life, one God who loves us. And this week, we get into the next part of that, the empowered life, what it's like to live a life fueled by and shaped by the Holy Spirit. That's sanctification. In John 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He's saying, Father, make them holy. You know, it doesn't matter what I study or experience. Okay, wait, it does actually matter. Um, (laughs) It doesn't matter how much I study or experience, because some words still have this, um, this embedded sort of first impression with me. And I feel like holy or sanctify is one of those words because it, it makes me picture that moment before people come over. But not just like normal people, it's really important guests coming over, okay? And you've been procrastinating cleaning the house. Um, I, this isn't something I struggle with, obviously. Um, so all of a sudden you're like, ah, I've got a panic clean. They're coming over. I haven't even gotten the guest room ready. And so you start running around the house and and you're tripping on shoes and you're tripping on toys and maybe there's yelling, maybe there's not, but you're like frantically trying to collect the huge piles of socks that somehow find their way into like every corner of every room. And it's like you're trying to remove every hint of evidence that real humans actually occupy this space. And uh, I think sometimes holiness can get reduced to... Oh, we're asleep. Holiness, okay? I'm on a roll. (laughs) Um, Holiness gets reduced to the goal of being surface clean or putting on a show. And the pressure is, like, crushing, okay? It becomes just another way to hide. But let's look at that word, sanctify, or to become holy, which means to set apart, to be set apart from profane things, to be wholly dedicated to God. Holy in the New Testament is not the priestly or ritual, but the prophetic. The sacred no longer belongs to things, places, or rites, but to manifestations of life produced by the Spirit. It's prophetic because it anticipates and it calls forth life. Holiness that doesn't produce life isn't holiness. Our passage from Ezekiel says, prophesy over these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. In Ezekiel's vision, he's staring out at this valley full of dry bones. He's staring at a vision of God's people feeling hopeless and distant from God because Jerusalem has just been taken, the temple's been destroyed, um, which is where God's spirit was supposed to be. So where, where is God's spirit now? That's what they're asking. 
In the midst of all this loss and disruption, where is God? And so their hearts have become hard. They've been walking in rebellion. They've lost any desire to obey God. They are in exile. And the Holy Spirit looks into the face of that. He looks into the valley, looks into the face of all that hopelessness, and he says, but I want you to live. I haven't given up on you yet. Another temple's coming. Ezekiel sees bones, but the Spirit sees a future of holiness, of life. And this picture is for us today because when you invite Jesus into your heart, into be the Lord of your life, as we talked about last week, the Spirit of the living God moves in and begins to change you, make you holy. He calls you to a new identity, new habits, new gifts, and new life. To power and love and self-control. So maybe you're sitting there and, and you're saying, okay, this sounds really nice. <laughs> this sounds really good. Like we have all that life inside of us. So why is it hard? Why is this so difficult? <laughs> so Nick and I have four boys. Um, I'm married to Nick, by the way, if you don't know that. Sometimes people are like, I never draw, drew the connection. <laughs> but <laughs> um, we have four boys. And I remember when Isaac, our oldest, was... Um, about three, and he experienced his first commercial. And it was pretty memorable because there he was, standing in the middle of the living room, and he's just captivated, like only a toddler can be, right, staring at the, the screen. And this big hamburger comes across the screen, dripping with juicy sustenance, and he's like, I think I'm hungry. And he says, I, I think think I need that. We know that we are shaped by our attention, by what we watch and what we take in. But, uh, kids especially. Clearly my fire story started with a movie, <laughs> um, but that story was just physically dangerous. It's not spiritually dangerous, so it's, it's okay, right? Um, but we downplay this. We downplay the power of our mindless habits, thinking that desensitized means safe. Uh, but being, uh, part of being holy is setting ourselves apart from certain influences. Oh, but we don't like that. That's super uncomfortable. What if that makes other people uncomfortable? What if they feel like I'm being judgy or they feel like I'm being fake? They might, you know, it might feel like that first definition of holy where it's just surface clean or putting on a show. So maybe it's about other people and our fear of them. They are kind of scary. <laughs> um, or maybe we just don't want to ask tough questions. Like, how does this impact my worldview? The way that I see the world. How does it impact my feelings, my character, my behavior, my spiritual life? What am I learning by participating in this? What am I learning about dating, marriage, what it means to be a man or a woman? Conflict, healthy relationships, ambition, right or wrong. These aren't new questions, but we don't actually want to ask them. I don't want to ask those questions sometimes because you're like, but I like this thing in my life. 
and, and what if I don't like the answer? What if I actually have to give something up? As I was preparing this, I really wrestled with how to talk about it because the last thing I want to do is send any kind of signal of legalism or self-righteousness because I know that stuff's toxic, okay? I don't want this to feel like a bad diet where you take an extreme approach, avoid everything, everything becomes bad, nothing in the world is good or fun, and it becomes more like uh, guilt or shame-driven than actually healthy. It sets you up for failure. This is not what I'm about today, okay? Holiness is not like a bad diet. But it is prayerfully and wisely choosing what you consume. Who you focus on. It's practicing freedom from the things that try to master us. And as we invite Jesus to shape how we spend our life, that's where freedom is. Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. The word for set your minds on is savor. Savor the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Sanctification is recalibrating our thoughts, our habits, and desires to attend to God's presence. This is the start of the empowered life. James Smith writes, We need to counter our mindless habits with holy habits, or a kind of gospelized, ordinary liturgy that sanctifies our perception, that implants the biblical story so deeply into our pre-conscious that the gospel becomes the background against and through which we perceive the world, even without thinking about it. Only when you are formed this deeply can you say, as C.S. Lewis did, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. We need this intentional recalibration because habits can be echoes of the old way, our old self, our previous identities. Like, uh, let's just have some fun. Okay, I'm, I'm the rebel of the family. Okay, maybe not so fun. I'm, <laughs> I'm not good enough, or only I'm good enough. I'm the emotional one, I'm the, the unlovable one, I'm the most annoying Enneagram type. <laughs> Whatever shame-driven label it is, and these are just a tiny list, whether it's a lie or maybe there's some truth to it, that's ground zero. That's where the battle is. It's a, these habits can be a, a tangible expression of a spiritual battle. And it isn't the kind of thing that, um, that we can just walk through on our own and defeat strongholds on our own somehow. Like if I, just, if I just take my Bible and I put it on this shelf over here, and then sometimes I look at it, <laughs> then somehow that's going to change me just by, you know, breathing the same air as it. I, and I, I get it because... Sometimes, you know, we're just really tired. We just get home, and we've sat down on the couch already, and the Bible's way over there. The standing is so hard. <laughs> but it's not going to change us if we aren't immersing ourselves in it. 
We need help to continue to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us both to will and to act, to work for his good pleasure. Last week, we were reminded how God saves us through what Jesus did on the cross. We are no longer slaves to sin, yet we keep choosing the old way. We keep getting back into um, Ezekiel's valley of dry bones, forgetting that we have this spirit, this alive and empowering spirit living inside of us, forgetting this new identity that we need the church, that we need scripture, that we need prayer, we need help. And sometimes we just hide behind that door. We sit in our shame, surrounded by our latest mess, yet we long for the presence of our loving Father to just come in to see what we've got ourselves into again, to help us find a way to set it right. And the Holy Spirit gives us exactly what we need in order to do that. Paul writes, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Anything that we are relying on or hiding behind other than Jesus. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The Spirit gives us weapons. But before you start squirming in your seat, our weapons aren't like other weapons. Like the ones that escalate and continue cycles of destruction, we need spiritual weapons for a spiritual battle. And the strongest weapons we have at our disposal are the ones that we saw Jesus employ to defeat sin and death and the hold that they had over us. Those weapons look like self-sacrifice and radical forgiveness. Okay, but hold on because uh, we're going to have fun for a second. Just imagine that Jesus walks into that moment uh, in Lord of the Rings, you know, where they're all sitting around making their little battle plan to fight the bad guys. And, um, and one of them's like, you have my sword, and you have my bow, and my axe. And Jesus is like, forgiveness. I got forgiveness, guys. <laughs> it's crazy, right? <laughs> like, this doesn't make sense in our world um, to, to approach it this way, to, to self-sacrifice. And yet Jesus uses these um, counterintuitive weapons. He, he uses self-sacrifice on the cross fueled by, empowered by prayer and the Bible, God's word. Those weapons can break cycles and set things right. And so we keep battling, we keep setting apart and walking towards, we keep putting off the old self and living into the new, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We keep putting on the clothing of Christ uh, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And by the way, some of those clothes, uh, they're, they're going to feel a little bigger than others, okay? <laughs> For me, in my world, patience is four sizes too big and very itchy, <laughs> Um, and sometimes 
I feel like I'm missing really crucial elements to my spiritual wardrobe. Like, you know, the thing that, that keeps the foot out of your mouth? I wish I, wish I had one of those. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, we, we practice putting it on. We clothe ourselves with Christ, become like Jesus, love others as Jesus did, dedicate ourselves, our whole person, to the way of Jesus. Because Jesus defeats strongholds, and then he empowers us to do the same. He empowers us to do that for ourselves, to do that for others. And that's a holy calling. That's a holy calling. I'm going to invite the worship team up and the prayer team as well as I finish. And I'm going to encourage you guys, just close your eyes for a minute. Because I know many of you have learned to walk this out again and again. You're familiar with this struggle, this up and down um, walk. But for some of you, this feels way too far out of reach. Even just talking about shame is difficult. And you're feeling, man, this is too hard. I'm too stuck. Even as a Christian, I've been trapped in this pattern of behavior for decades. How can I possibly climb out? Just do what Ezekiel did. Start by facing the bones. Start by naming the thing that weighs on you, that causes decay, that makes you feel ashamed or powerless, and call it as it is. Stop choosing the illusion of power instead of the power of life in Jesus. Call it as it is. Lay that in front of Jesus. Because today he's saying it's time. It's time to come out of hiding. I want you to experience the abundant life of holiness. I want to call life out of you. And sometimes that starts with a pile of bones. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are such a loving father. We thank you that you're here with us now. And I just want to pray against any spirit of, of shame or of fear that is in this room. That's, that's not what we want to be about, Lord. We know that you love us. And you love us so much, you don't want to leave us in, in the old way. In the old patterns. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone who's been feeling that pressing on their heart. Lord, that, that nudge from the Holy Spirit of of something, an area in their life where they want to experience freedom. I pray, Lord, that they would have the courage to call it as it is. That they would have courage, Lord, to, to tell someone, to get prayer. Lord, to come to a pastor and talk it through, or a counselor, to come forward to our prayer team. Lord, you are so good to give us this gift of the Spirit living within us to empower us. 
empower us to deal with whatever we face. And Lord, I pray that that would be the message that people walk away with today is that you bring life even where life feels impossible. In your name, amen. So I just want to encourage you one more time. Uh, we're going to have a couple people at the front here for prayer ministry. You guys can stand up. Um, we really care about prayer ministry here. Okay, we believe in the power of receiving prayer and praying for other people and so whether you have something that stood out to you today um, and what you've heard today and you want prayer for that or whether there's anything else going on in your life these people here are awesome and they just want to pray for you okay so so come forward don't be shy and uh